Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black, as well as in the mix, my co-hosts that have been doing the last two episodes with me. They will continue to be with me for the majority, if not all, of the scouting cycle. Certainly, Maxwell Baumbach, my new lead co-host, will be here night in, night out, every single episode of the podcast. And as long as he can be here, Stephen Gillespie is one with Draft Deeper. He will also be joining us every single opportunity that he gets certainly in these preseason previews that we've been doing. If you've missed the last two episodes, that's okay. You can still catch up on them on the podcast feed. No worries. But we've started our 2023 NBA draft previews going through some of the top freshman prospects. And so now we've gotten to part three of our freshman deep dive. We're going to take a look at a few under the radar guys. And when I say under the radar, I'm talking about when I go on social media, when I'm going on Twitter, when I'm flipping through anything that I can, I'm not really seeing a ton of buzz about the majority of the prospects we're going to talk about tonight. If you are a draft sicko like us and you don't consider these prospects under the radar, I, I apologize. But for the most part, in terms of national scouting attention, I haven't seen too much about these guys. So that's why we were going with the under the radar name for the podcast title tonight. So we have another great group of about 10 guys that we're going to talk about multiple position groups. We will do the same order that we've been doing. We'll go guards, wings. Then we have a few forwards slash bigs. So I'm really excited about what we're going to do tonight. Maxwell, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm fired up about this group. I love the under the radar guys. Uh, like This is my favorite part of the draft. I do, love- do these guys classify as under the radar for you? Or... I think I think most of them do. I think okay. most of them are guys I haven't seen. There's Good a couple stuff. guys I have seen mocked a few places, but I don't think there's anybody on this list that I'm like consistently seeing mocked anywhere, but especially first round. Sure. Steven, what, what, what about you? Did, did we do a good job in putting together guys that you think fall in the under the radar category? Yeah, I think so, Nathan. I just, a few of these guys, I think have a really good shot to get drafted this year. I think uh, the other half of these are probably good second, maybe even third year guys, but you never know, man, if, if things break right for them, they could end up in the draft conversation. So I'm excited to run through this group, man. You never know is right. There are always a few guys who slip through the cracks and break out in big ways in college basketball. And all of a sudden we have to look at them as not just draftable prospects, but are they first round prospects? Then they keep building throughout the year. Are they lottery prospects? And then all of these conversations open up and we are far too early to have those types of conversations. It is still only October. We will start engaging in more of that dialogue, probably in like the, the late December, early January range is when a lot of that's going to pick up. But for now, we have to try and take a look at as many prospects and preview as many as possible. So let's dive in. As I said, we're going to start with the guards. Really interesting guard going to Duke that I think got a good amount of buzz when he reclassified. But Mm -hmm. Lately, you've seen a lot of the Duke players talked about, and it's lively, and it's Whitehead, and we, we've talked about Mark Mitchell already as well, but Tyrese Proctor hasn't gotten a lot of mention lately, at least not from what I've seen. The 6'5", 178-pound guard, originally, as I mentioned, a 2023 class prospect, reclassified to join Duke for this season. Five-star guard out of Sydney, Australia, competed in multiple U18 and U20 events in Australia, 
And he's put up good numbers in, in each one and was often one of the youngest players competing actually in those events. He's kind of always been playing up in competition uh, the, the majority of his basketball playing career. So no surprise, right? He wanted to reclassify and come up to 2022 and then join some of his fellow teammates at Duke. He's got good size and length for his position. Very capable lead ball handler who keeps his head up at all times on drives. He plays unselfishly. Not overly bursty, but he makes up for it with craft and his footwork. Walks that tight rope, hits the Euro steps, prioritizes making defenders miss in traffic so he can get the angle to kiss it off the glass. I mentioned his vision. He has that ability to make the necessary passes from the top of the court as well. He can hit the cross court, find the corners. He's a transition passer and playmaker. He competes defensively, and he's not afraid to get physical or even mix it up around the basket on that end. But some things that I'm looking for in his development. Got to see more of the spot up and pull up shooting progression. He has to be able to finish through contact around the rim on top of hunting for it to actually get to the free throw line. And then I want to see him tighten up the handle just a tad. He's, mm-hmm. he's one of those guys who I wouldn't say his dribbles always sloppy, but he's not one of these guys who would classify as he's got the ball on a string. Right. So those are just some improvement areas that I personally want to see Maxwell. I'll start with you. He's, he's one of these prospects who I, I think we we've known his name for quite a while. I'm not mm-hmm. sure that. Yeah. I mean, I certainly haven't done the deep dive on him because I try and focus on the draft class we're in, not necessarily mm-hmm. looking too far ahead, but he's a guy we, we know the name, but after actually taking the time to study him, what are some of the things that you want to see from him at Duke this year? Yeah, I think I, the handle, it's interesting you mentioned that because that is something I'm a little bit worried about him, especially when he gets sped up. Um, when he's trying to do too much or playing it too high of a pace, the ball kind of gets away from him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I, so, okay, so we're working on a project re, uh, at, at No Ceilings where we had to dig through and make some player comparisons. And when I was doing that, I was just looking through NBA players, and I feel like six four is a very tricky height to be in the NBA because I feel like you either need to have exceptionally long arms so that you can guard up, or you have to really have guard skills. And with Proctor, I really like the passing. I just really want to see the handle get there, especially with like the pull-up shooting um, and the finishing around the basket. I, I watched a bunch of his FIBA um, Asia games and my, the Asia Cup, and my concern with him there was I thought he really struggled to finish inside in those games. And that's not against like the best level of competition either when we talk about some of the FIBA events that went on uh, in on other continents and across other age groups. Mm -hmm. So he was playing older guys, but it was still just like, I I don't love what I'm seeing on the inside. So either the inside or the outside or both is going to have to come along. Uh, But I really like his vision. He's, he's very clever with the ball. He can sling. He's ambidextrous too. He can sling with either hand as a passer. He can finish with either hand. I just want to see him finish more consistently. Um, He's got a quick release as a spot up shooter. So at least that's, that's there. And something else I like about him is the ball gets out of his hands quick as a passer. Like there will yes, be plays where he's driving and like, you see like, Oh, that man's opening up. And like, by the time you are even halfway through that thought, he's already placed the ball in their hands. Uh, there's no wasted motion on his passes. He just gets it where it needs to be. Um, so yeah, I think, I think just finishing and shooting like wherever that pans out will determine whether he's a first or second year guy. Uh, he needs to get stronger too, but that's basically everybody that we talk about. So Steven, you came up with a question before we started recording the podcast. You hit me with an interesting angle to take with some of these guys this afternoon. So you specifically mentioned 
that should we focus more on how things need to break right for some of these guys to climb the rankings? So you're going to be my point man for that question throughout this entire podcast. So I'll turn to you and ask you that question. If Tyrese Proctor is going to solidify himself in first round territory, possibly even higher, in your opinion, going off of what I said, what Maxwell said, what are some of the things you definitely need to see break right for him to get further into that territory? So I think playing time for Duke is going to be key with him. Uh, I think that he's going to be one of these guys that if he can either supplant Jeremy Roach as the, as the starting guard, I think that that would be key, or he has to completely take over in that six-man role, which we know that even on the front court rotation, that that's going to be difficult to do. So I think that he needs to work his way up into that playing time rotation and he's younger too. Right. So the, the strength aspect, like they got to, he's got to either show that he can handle the physicality of the game or that there are some strong indicators that suggest that he will be able to, uh, the, the decision-making has to break right too. He can't be one of these guys that averages, you know, four assists, four turnovers, you know, three and a half assists, three and a half turnovers, like that assist to turnover ratio has to be there. He's got to show that he's capable of making the smart passes. That doesn't just mean the, the fun passes. And Maxwell did a great job of breaking down everything that he can do um, as, as a playmaker, right? But sometimes we know that young players have a tendency to go for the flash over the substance. He's got to show that he can make just a, a quick, good entry pass to like Filipowski or to Lively, mm -hmm. one of those two guys. The pick and roll between both of those types of uh, big men are, is going to be key for him as well because I feel like they're both going to provide different types of looks for him at Duke, which could suggest that he can play at a variety of different play styles in the NBA. So those are some of the things that I would be looking at, Nathan, to see how he translates to that next level. And obviously, too, he's younger, he's got to get stronger, but he has to compete on the defensive end. But based on the film that I've seen, there's nothing, there's nothing that suggests that he won't be an effort guy on that end at the very least. I think you could have stopped your, your explanation after your, your very first point, and you probably would have been spot on with, with one of the bigger things that we're going to look at with Proctor this year, which is, can he win a starting role? Mm -hmm. And along with that, I don't know if he's going to supplant Jeremy Roach, but I guess my question back to you, Steven, would be with, with some of what you have seen on tape with his jump shooting, because I, I don't think his shooting is broken. I think there, no. there are just some improvements that need to be made. The question back to you would be, can he be enough of a threat from the perimeter to maybe share the backcourt with Jeremy Roach to that, you know, John Shire could go with a lineup of Roach and Proctor, and then you could have maybe a smaller lineup at, at the three with Whitehead, and then you could play yeah. Filipowski and then Lively. So there would be plenty of spacing right around Derek Lively still if Proctor can knock down some of those shots. Well, what do you think of, the possibility that that could happen later on in the season. I think that that's a, that's a possibility. There's another freshman shut on this team that might challenge that spot because he does project to be a very good collegiate three-point shooter. Uh, Maxwell, you touched on that on our last episode. I actually dove into, some shut yeah. I dove into some film on him today. I'm a believer. He's a competitor mm -hmm. too. Like he'll go after loose balls. He actually played a lot of zone at his high school and he played in the corner at six, four, right? So the fact that he's going to be a college guard with some forward type wing type skill sets, it's going to benefit him. I think as he moves up to the next level, but Proctor, the, the one thing that I've noticed is that his, his shot foundation, right? The base of his shot, the lower half of his body is not always consistent. I don't yep. know if that's him hunting angles or different approaches to shoot around people, 
but I think that he's got to clean that up. The upper body mechanics look fine. It's just that he's got to develop a consistency whenever he's wanting to set shot. And sometimes it could come out a little bit flat, but I think for in order for things to break right for him, Nathan, you did a good job of pointing that out too. The shot's got to get cleaned up a little bit as well. Maxwell, you kind of in the, the, the same boat with that before we move on? Yeah, I, I would say I am, like across the board. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... I, I do think that there are ways that he can play with Roach, especially even, and you can even do like a big lineup and play like Mitchell, Filipowski, and Lionel with those two. Yep. I think you, Duke's going to have a ton of optionality. Um, I just think he's going to have to like really find an offensive role early uh, so that he doesn't kind of get lost in that, mm-hmm. that massive depth that they have. It's a blessing, but. It, it's funny. We, we it's funny. We started off with Tyrese Proctor, who we, we just spent a little bit of time talking about what what's his role going to be within the team. How many minutes is he going to be able to earn? Arterio Morris, our next guard, is in a very similar position mm-hmm. at Texas, right? You already have Marcus Carr there, who may, maybe everybody doesn't like him as an NBA prospect, but I think he's a I think he's a pro prospect, right? Like he's probably going to be playing professional yeah, basketball somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And then you have Tyrese Hunter, who I think that the three of us are all probably still fans of. I would absolutely have him somewhere in potential first round conversation, maybe like late first, early second out to like 40, 45. So he, he's somewhere in like the 25 to 45 group, I think, starting out right now. But then you have Arterio Morris coming in the 6'3", 190 pound point guard who played at Kimball High School in Dallas, Texas. He was ranked 17th in the ESPN top 100. Now, we, we will talk about his game, but we do have a disclaimer, and we've all talked about the disclaimer off the air, that he does have some troubling uh, domestic violence allegations open against him. He was arrested for misdemeanor assault against his ex-girlfriend. I believe that was in June of this summer, if I'm correct. As of now, we know nothing, at least I know nothing, that he's been suspended by the team or that there's going to be any action taken against him for this upcoming season. So because of that, I thought because of the type of prospect that he is and can be, I thought it was appropriate to still talk about him on a podcast, despite how I I think all three of us, you know, we, we have very heavy hearts just hearing anything like that in relation to really anybody in the world, but in particular in, in, in the sport that we're involved in on a day-to-day basis in basketball, we never want to hear anybody involved in, in something like that. So it's, it's not something that's easy for any of us to talk about, but I do think we should talk about Morris's game and then whatever the fallout ends up being later on in the season, if we have to bring up more of the, the troubling allegations and we need to discuss them, we will do that at a later point. But in talking about Morris's game, he's like the, the, the third or the fourth guard on this Texas roster, but has plenty of talent. I mean, he's a dynamic and he's a bouncy point guard prospect. He loves to get up and get high to finish over the defense. He gets downhill quick, which his rim pressure creates everything for himself and his teammates. He can stop and pop in the mid range. Really. He wants to get all the way to the basket though, has good vision, but his determination to constantly get to the rim can get him in trouble at times. Think uh, he sees plays develop, but has that innate confidence that he can challenge in going through anyone when he's focused on finding the open man, he can, He did a lot of his work out of isolations in the tape that I saw, and he made the most of having the space to operate on an island. I don't love the jumper. I think he can hit enough spot-up shots on his own, but there's no backspin on the ball, which is really weird to watch on the tape. 
a few soft makes that that's something I've talked about previously, but what does a shot look like when it's going through the basket? Is it rattling the rim? Is it very hard? Is it, is it smooth swoosh through? But what are your looks, uh, what do your makes look like? Few soft makes. And he isn't always balanced, particularly when he tries to stop, turn, and shoot. I trust him a lot more inside the arc than I do beyond it. Um, he does hustle and he makes the play defensively on recoveries when he's beat, but he gets beat more often than I'd like to see. And then given that he doesn't have the same bulk to him as other guards, he'll be pigeonholed pretty quickly on the defensive side to be guarding other ones, meaning he has to stay attentive. He has to get through screens. And he has to get better balanced footwork on that end. So Steven, there, there are plenty of positives when you talk about an electric guard like Arterio Moore, somebody who you look at him, he just seems from, from a speed standpoint, he can get to his spots whenever he wants to. He's shifty enough. He's balanced enough on some of his pull-ups. He's able to find guys when they're open. There, there are plenty of positives to like, and, and clearly the talent's there. And I think we're going to see the talent pop off the tape once we have it, when Texas starts playing some games. But there's plenty of other negatives there to lead me to come back to the question that, that I thought was really good that you wanted to ask it when we were doing the show prep. What are some of the things that, that need to go right for Ontario Morris to really break into the draft conversation in reference to where he was actually ranked within the ESPN top 100? Because if he's not going to get the same playing time as some of these other guards, or he's not going to have the same opportunities, he probably will be somebody who's coming back for, for at least a second year to, to college. But what are some of the ways that maybe he can push past that? Yeah, so I want to lead off with uh... – I'm looking at Morris as a multi-year player right now out of the gate. Like, obviously, that can change. But I, right now, I'm looking at him as at least a two-year guy in college. Is it um, is it by default, or do you think there's enough detriments within his game right now to where he's he's kind of going to be given the the advice, you should probably stick around for, for another year? I, I think the latter, Nathan. I think that right now, just where I look at him and I'm – I wrote about this over at No Ceilings, you know, shout out Shameless Plug, is that sometimes we can fall like madly, tr truly madly, deeply, shout out Savage Garden, in love, <laughs> yes. in love with, with freshman prospects. And I think Arterio Morris might be one of those guys that if you watch a, a, a mixtape of his, you can look at him and be like, I don't know, like this guy might be second round prospect, but go back and look at the returning players in this year's class. I am so in love with so many sophomore players in this class comparatively to the to these freshmen. But Morris, I think one thing that has a break right for him, I think if Texas runs a three-guard rotation for the majority of the year, that that would be uh, interesting to see because they do have some good front court uh, prospects as well. I like Dylan Disu as a returning prospect for them. And with Morris, he's got to develop as a shooter because one thing that we saw from Tyrese Hunter last season was that he is deadly at penetrating and kicking the ball out. And he's got to he's got to work on his jump shot too. And I believe that he probably has based on the work ethic and, and development that we saw from him over at, at Iowa State last year. Morris has to definitely clean up his jump shot and, and, and be that type of player, that dynamic, uh, you know, beyond the arc threat. And he's got to work as a as a better playmaker too, right? Like right now, his pass placement I don't think is always consistent. I don't I don't trust him as like a lead guard. So really, you're looking at him as kind of like a, a combo guard, more as a two than a three. 
And I don't trust, you know, his his decision making right now based on the film that I've seen. I do think that he's built well as a combo guard. You know, he he does like to get to the basket. He's capable of finishing with some contact and he competes on the glass, too. I think that his that his build right now is actually well suited to be a collegiate combo guard. But right now, I don't love his defensive recovery. So if he is going to be a two or defending threes, depending on the type of rotation that Texas is looking to employ, his defensive recovery isn't the best. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't like him fighting over screens right now. So if I'm looking at having questions on the shot, if I'm having questions with passing consistency and he's not the best defender, I think that he's got the tools that he can develop as like a good sophomore or junior prospect down the line. It's just as a freshman, I'm not in love with him yet. But again, if he gets a lot of playing time and he is a quick learner, that's what has to break right for him to climb boards, in my opinion. Maxwell, we've had this conversation time and time again about these guards who maybe they're better two ones than one twos. But when they're on the smaller side, right, he's only six foot three. Mm-hmm. That's not a trend that that's going in the positive direction in the NBA nowadays. So are no. you are you in a very similar boat with, with, with Morris, every, everything else aside? Yeah. Yeah, I I just real t- real quick just to touch on like the the allegations he's facing and everything like that. Like personally, I just wouldn't touch him. Like as yeah. it is right now, based on the little information that we have and the fact that there hasn't been any sort of response or anything like that. Like just from a comfort standpoint, if I'm an NBA organization, like with what I know right now, I'm not interested. Sure, I, I'd like to see a lot more. But as a player, um, I. I do think he's really talented. And like, I think his ceiling is really interesting. Cause like you said, the two, one thing it's tricky. Um, but I think he has some of the requisite skills to do it. I'm a bigger buyer on the jump shot than I think okay. you guys are. Like you mentioned, like the ball rotation, it's weird. It's very bizarre. You don't see a lot of guys that hit at a high clip like that. But if you watch the film, like he makes some shots off the catch from NBA range already. Yep. Um, so I, I trust the range on the shot. Um, I do think that his ability to function without the ball offensively is enticing because a lot of these guys are going to play off of a different, you know, they might be one in college, but at the NBA level, there's a bigger initiator that's kind of leading the charge and they're playing off the ball. Um, I think my concern with him really just boils down to the defense. I, he is incredibly raw, uh, does not stay in tune a lot of the time. Um, but just his on the ball stuff like this guy, there's times where it feels like he's a numbers merchant and he's just like way too aggressive. He sells out for everything. And when he gets beat, it's just like, oh, well, like that was it. Like there was one yes. play I saw where like he allowed himself to get completely behind the guy. And then it was just like, Oof, let's call it a day. And it's like, <laughs> no, man, like you can't, you can't be doing that stuff. It's, and I think it's that's not like, great. It's no. Not and great. when we talk about guys being like a one, basically a two that's the size of a one, like the defense, I think is really going to have to be there for those kind of mm-hmm. players going forward. So I think if you're playing that type of defense, especially the point of attack against a position where the guy might be dribbling the ball up the court, or you're going to be playing against somebody who's bigger and has physical advantages over you. Like you cannot play that type of defense. And it's one of those things where you're a star player on your high school team and you've got this big offensive load. Like there's all these excuses for it. So maybe it is better than it looked on tape. 
Um, but that's like my big hangup is I just really did not like what I saw on the defensive end with him. The, the, the saving grace for his defense is that he probably has one of the best guards he could possibly train with on that end. It is in a locker room and Tyrese yeah. Hunter. I mean, Tyrese 100%, Hunter, yeah. Steven talked about it. Like Tyrese Hunter is legitimately a consistent jump shot away from, and in my opinion, I think he could crash up as high as the, as the lottery. I, I really think he's that talented, but he does have to be more efficient. Like we're talking about like sub 40% from the field for, for different parts of the season last year, like almost sub 30% from three point range like that, that all has to come around, but the, the pick and roll craft, the passing ability, the defensive tenacity, his ability to rebound and actually sky up for rebounds, given that he's only about six foot, maybe that's even a little generous. Maybe he's only like five eleven. Tyrese Hunter is a really impressive prospect, but the shot has to break right for him, but this isn't, this wasn't about Hunter. As I said, if as enticing as it is, Nathan, as enticing, I, I know Hunter. I really, we're, we're going to talk about Tyrus <laughs> Hunter on a future podcast. I'll gush over him then, but Arterio Morris, if he does, you know, have that inside of him to keep working and keep improving on his game. Hopefully over the summer, he was hitting up Tyrese Hunter on some text messages to be like, yo, can we get in the gym? Can we work on some of this stuff? Let's, let's get better together so that, as Steven brought up, maybe we can make some of these three guard rotations work. Maybe Marcus Carr can guard the quote unquote three man and Tyrese Hunter can take two and Arterio Morris can guard at the point of attack at the one and, and they can be a unit because offensively, I do think that would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's just defensively it could fall apart pretty quickly. Um, thankfully, they have backline guys like Dylan Dusu, Timmy Allen, like they have frontline guys to take, you know, the, those lumps with those guards but it all has to improve. And I, I agree with the both of you. That's going to be one of the biggest areas moving forward. Let's move into some of the wings. Terrence Arsenault, Houston wing, six foot five, 185 pounds. A guy, I heard like no buzz on him before I actually started looking into some of these prospects. And I'm looking at Houston's roster because we're all intrigued with Jairus Walker. And you go down, you see Terrence Arsenault, you look at his measurements, and then you flip on some of the tape and you're like, how did this guy slip through? Like, why, why is nobody talking about Terrence Arsenault? He was only 66 in the ESPN Top 100, 69 in the SI 99. He did play in the Allen Iverson Classic. Senior year at Beaumont United High School, he averaged 15 points, nine rebounds, four blocks, two assists, two steals per game. Legit shooter on the wing, can hit off spot-ups, can also relocate and hit shots on the move. I believe he has NBA range, given what I've seen on his jumper. Bouncy wing who can get up off the ground and hammer it down off two. He plays well in transition. He can fill the lane for the dunk opportunity or sprint to the corner for the open triple. I love to see that in a wings game. Uh, score first mentality as a wing, much more comfortable looking for his own shot than trying to create for others. Will he be able to keep the ball moving within the flow of the offense at Houston? That's a big question for me. Or will he settle mm-hmm. for some poor looks? I want to keep seeing him be competitive doing the little things on offense too, getting those offensive rebounds that from the film, we know he's capable of getting uh, making cuts off the ball. Really what off ball role will he be able to settle into at Houston? Cause he won't have some of the same on ball opportunities. At least I don't think so. Given the guard play they have there, you know, Walker's going to get his touches. What, what is that going to look like for him in college? Uh, crazy help side shot blocker when we talk about some of the defense and a steals artist at his position fits the definition of defensive playmaker. I will want to watch his balance footwork and discipline more on that side in college though, as opposed to some of what I saw in high school, but either way, any way you slice it, 
I read off a lot of positives for what the NBA is looking for in a wing. Maxwell, you, your face just like lit up when I said his name and I mentioned why the hell is nobody talking about this guy? So I'll just ask you, why the hell is no one talking about Terrence Arsenault? <laughs> I don't know because I have a top 20 grade on Terrence Arsenault. Right I mean, that's a spicy one. It's a spicy that's, one, but I'm, oof, I'm all about it. pepper. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, the first thing you mentioned, the help side shot blocking. I am convinced that is the next market inefficiency in the NBA. When we talk about how many stretch bigs are coming to the league and how many bigs are being pulled out of the paint, yep. it's going to become more and more important for these wing players that can block shots. Teams are going to need them. They're going to need guys that can rotate and get in position and meet players at the rim. Arsenal has that. His arms are long. He flies off the floor, especially off of two. He's yes, he quick does. off the floor. He does not need to load up to jump. So I think a lot of his shot blocking um, on his closeouts and it's just a rim protector in general is going to translate very well. Um, he's really good in rotations and scrambles. He covers a ton of ground. Um, and then offensively, he just has wonderful complementary player skills. Uh, he has really good body control around the rim to finish. Again, he's quick off the floor at the rim. And I really, by the jump shot, I think he's a heck of a shooter. And he's got a sky-high release, too, that's very difficult to block without taking too much time to get off. Um, I, I just love what I see here. I think the one thing that may hurt him is, like we mentioned, we're all really intrigued with this Houston team. Houston has a ton of guys. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think it was Mark Mitchell that you mentioned it last podcast, like, could be your Josh Minot guy. We're like, he might not get a ton of minutes, but you dig into the film and you're like, oh, whoa, wait a minute. Like, this guy's still coming out this year and he's going to be good. I think there's a real chance that that ends up being the case for Arsenal. Just because they have so many veterans. They have so many guys who can play with the ball in their hands. Um, and to your point, like the passing, the playmaking is the one thing that I'm nervous about is like, mm -hmm. is he going to be able to make quick decisions? Is he going to be able to play within the flow of the offense, especially on a team that has so many capable ball handlers and passers? You do not want him being the guy who muddies the waters. I, I think he, I think he has good feel. I just don't know if that's something he's really been asked to do a lot of. And I think it's just, it's really going to take some time and, and some work to, to get better at keeping the ball moving versus falling into some of his old habits. Like, yeah. Oh, I can get past this guy or, Oh, I can pull up for this jump shot anytime I want. Like, will he keep the ball moving to actually earn a spot in a rotation? That's chock full of veterans as we know. And I, I would say, based on how he reads the floor defensively and how he can cut off the ball. I think the instincts yes. are there for that to happen. Yep. I, I would agree wholeheartedly. Steven, we've, we've seen some guys who aren't starters get drafted pretty high to really high in mm -hmm. the NBA draft. I think if everything breaks right for Terrence Arsenault because of the veterans in front of him, he's probably the team's sixth man. But even as the team's sixth man, I, I, I'm not as high as Maxwell right now. The top 20, that, that is, yeah, that's a I don't know how many people yeah. are. But, <laughs> I don't know how many people I, are, man. I do think he should be in conversations for potentially the first round. So what do you want to see break right for, for Terrence Arsenal to really push himself into that conversation, given that he'd be coming from, what, the, the 60s territory in a, in a freshman top 100 all the way up to top 30 guys in all of college basketball, that would be a pretty sizable leap. Do you think he's capable of making a leap like that? I'm hopeful. You know, I'm always, <laughs> I'm always hopeful, but I mean, if we're looking at him as a wing, right. Um, the, the shot really has to be there. Like it, it has to be there. It, it can't be in question. I don't think that there's that you just look at that and be like, 
if only we get the shot turned around. I think that it has to no kidding be there. Um, on the defense, I would like to see him. I know at Houston it's going to be preached, right, from Coach Sampson that he's going to have to hunker down and he's going to have to play his assignment yep. and also know when to make the reads to commit to help defense because I do think that he can be a little bit of a gambler on that side of the ball. I, I don't mind gamblers on defense. You guys know that I love Tar Eason and Alex Fudge, you know, players of that help. So I'm, I'm not against it. But I think that particularly on Houston, that he's got to really show that he knows when when to gamble and it has to pay off. I would like to see him. I would like to see his handle in, in college ball before I'm willing to put him in that conversation. I don't think that that's necessarily strong. Um, I would like to see him be able to operate with both hands a little bit more, especially at the next level. So if I'm looking at him as as this under the radar guy that can come in and be a first round talent as a wing that those are things that I need to see, or at least I have to believe can happen. But the help defense is the number one thing I have underlined. It's highlighted. It's, it's in big bright letters. I love his help defensive instincts. I love him in transition. I, I like that there is budding playmaking Maxwell. I'm stealing that phrase from you. I love it. You know, he's a, he's a <laughs> budding playmaker. Mm-hmm. I love that so much, but I just have questions with the, the mobility, right? Like the, the ball in hand stuff. That's the type of stuff that I need to see him improve on. And real quick too, based on the playing time, I think that he's going to get it because I think that this draft class for coach Samson, it's going to be really big for him to give these young guys playing time. If he wants to continue to get this strong of a recruiting class consistently at Houston, because he's got Jairus Walker and he's got Arsenault. These are dudes that could have gone elsewhere and got guaranteed playing time, but they're playing alongside veteran guys. I think that it's going to be very important for Coach Sampson to get these guys playing time and and have to live with mistakes at the beginning of the year because they got the grown-ups in here also to help kind of coach them alongside on the floor. Well, Steven, if you think you have questions about Terrence Arsenault, I have questions on this next guy. Julian Phillips mm. out of Tennessee, 6'8", 190 pound, wing slash forward, depending on how you want to classify. May very well end up being more of a forward than a wing. 13th overall in the ESPN Top 100, 18th uh, for 24-7 sports. McDonald's All-American from Link Academy, played alongside Jordan Walsh. Great verticality at his position. His combination of springs and length allow him to be a real lob threat around the basket, both in the half court off cuts and in transition. Times his leak outs really well in transition. He runs hard. Rarely does he have anyone meeting him at the basket on those lob opportunities and has excellent hands to consistently take advantage of his catch radius and snare the ball in for the jam. Because of how high he gets off the ground, he can finish over the defense um, as well as on, on touch shots and floaters in the paint. Good hang time on layups. Good rebounder for his position. He's competitive on the glass on both ends. Can definitely hit some open jump shots, both curling off screens and spot ups from the corners. I don't love his shot, though. Looks a little stiff and robotic with the two-motion follow-through and holds it flat. I just wonder that type of shot, how consistent that's going to fall in college. And also, this is maybe where I'm a little more confused about him, and I don't know if you guys are going to be in the same boat. How many of his buckets will he be able to create for himself? Or is he Mm. much more of an off-ball threat needing someone else to assist him? That's a big thing for me. That's a big question. And then I don't love him defensively either. Um, he ma- made some poor decisions in the games that I saw on the perimeter. Let guys get by him, late on rotations and closeouts. Defensive awareness will have to be coached up quite a bit from what I saw. 
on the film. I didn't watch every game in Instat, but I booted up a few. That's just what I saw on the defensive end. Now, he has plenty of talent on that side of the ball. Really, he has plenty of physical talent on both sides of the ball. And he could be a legitimate sleeper in this class. I know there are some others here at No Ceilings who really like Julian Phillips and have talked about him multiple times. But I don't know. There's just there, there's something that's not really clicking there for me 100%. Stephen, what kind of boat are you in on, on Julian Phillips? So my first go-round on the film, I was with you, Nathan. Like, dead serious. There wasn't a lot of nice things that I could say about him. The nice things that carried over from my first time watching him was the help defense. I like the shot blocking. Lo- just love his frame. And I think that he's got a good motor, too. Uh, it's It can be a little bit selective, which we can talk about high school players like that all the time. But when he's on, it, it looks really tantalizing. I didn't like the assist turnover numbers when I just first glanced at him. The the ball handling isn't necessarily the strongest. That that and, goes back to you know my my feelings of I just I just don't know what level of creation we're going to be able to see from him in, in the short term. And I didn't like how he has a tendency to kind of watch the play after he moves the ball out of his hands. Like he he'll he'll pass the ball and he just kind of like is a bystander at that point. But when I watched again, Nathan, I tried to put on my rose colored lenses rose colored lenses that was really hard for me to say sorry about that i think the turnovers are just a work I, I would like to know when he started playing basketball because he looks like a guy that came to the game a little bit late and this is something that i got to dig into maybe i could just be wrong here but it looks like he's seeing things he just needs more reps because whenever i watch the plays that he's trying to make I'm like, okay, I see what you're attempting to do. You just got to get that timing and execution down. And I like the shot potential with him because although the set shot from deep isn't necessarily the prettiest, I saw him operate on some quick screens and pin downs and DHO sets where he, where he rose up on the mid-range and movement. And I was like, ooh, okay, you're super long. If you can get that down, and you can turn it on if you're consistent on defense is what I've seen you on several possessions. The idea of him as like a as a guy who has Nathan, like you pointed out, the offense set up for him to operate there. There's a role in the NBA for guys his size that can just receive a pass and hit and play really good defense. I think the potential on that aspect of it, that's where I'm kind of like, I understand the idea of him. I just need to see it realized a little bit and i don't know if tennessee is necessarily the right place for him to do that but it's going to be fun to watch maxwell i don't know where you're at on his offense defensively when i made my comments you were about to get ready to rise up <laughs> out of your chair and smack me across the face oh no no, camera, no i so. was i was actually in total agreement with you on the defense oh so <laughs> I, I, I am not a fan of the defense i i, I read your guy. explosion off the couch wrong my apologies so oh. so then i have to ask <laughs> are, are you basically in the same boat on him as i am pretty close i think i'm a little higher on the outside shot than you guys are like i i tend to buy it i i really like um the fact that he can hit with a hand in his face he gets it off relatively well in terms of like pop time on the shot uh he can hit a one dribble pull up he can do a little sidestep action if the closeout's aggressive i i felt like in the games toward the end of the season that i watched he was a little better trying to get downhill I'd like to see him do that more just because of his kind of verticality. Like you mentioned, he, I, I don't mind the wonderful pull up. It's a nice thing to have, 
Um, but just given how he gets off the floor and his touch, I'd like to see him go all the way to the rim a little bit more often. Uh, the defense, I'm just not sure who this guy guards. Like that is the biggest hang up for me. Cause I think he's still a little thin and I just don't like how he moves on that side of the ball. I don't like his hips. I don't like him in rotations. I don't like him when he has to chase somebody around screens. There's just too many movement elements of defense where I, I get a little, That's why I brought up like um, how late to the game did this dude decide he wanted to play basketball. Like, it just feels like he is a late, late to the game guy when I watch him. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think it's disastrous. Cause like if you can do a, a quick little sidestep on offense and you can, you know, finish at the rim well and have a solid first step at time to time and you run the floor. Well, I, I think these are, elements that he can build on i don't think it's a case of oh he's not athletic he can't fix it i think i think there are tweaks he can make i'm i'm just not like positive so guy who makes them all in one year so it's bingo so i'll i'll tell you exactly why it's potentially disastrous because he's going to tennessee playing for rick barnes who when was the last time we saw a prospect actually develop at tennessee right like keon johnson Jaden springer a lot of these guys who are coming out like huntley hatfield Brandon Hundley Hatfield transferred now. Like they, they, they're all kind of walking in there and they're walking out pretty much the exact same way as they were. Now, thankfully, we, we've seen Keon Johnson after one year working in an NBA system. He looked like a completely different player at Summer League. He looks like he might be able to take a, a year two or a year three leap, depending on when his role is going to increase uh, within the team. But that's exactly why Julian Phillips, like, I just I just don't know what we're going to see that's really going to blow me away. And that's why I think he'd probably be much safer in like the early second round conversation for me right now than late first or, or climbing up any higher. But the potential's there. We know the potential's there. That's why we're talking about him on this podcast. We're not pushing him to later episodes of the podcast. We want to talk about him now. The next prospect that we're discussing, though, I have major regrets about bringing this guy up. On, on this podcast after I went back and I watched the tape. I'm, th- this is my guy. I know you guys are going to be Debbie Downers at other points in this podcast, probably, but th- this, this is my guy where I'm, I'm going to be the wet blanket here. Uh, Trey oh, White, no. USC, six foot seven, 210 pounds, number 28 in the ESPN top 100. Uh, he attended prolific prep in California where his senior year, he averaged 18.2 points per game, 5.8 rebounds, 4.3 assists during his senior season. Pretty, pretty good stat line potential three level scorer who can actually create his own from all three levels. That's really good to be able to do at six, seven has a good looking shot off pull-ups and can knock down open looks off the catch. Good bounce to finish at the basket when he gets there, but he can be selfish at times with his shot selection. He does share the ball, right? I, I don't think I could say he, he doesn't share the ball. Cause you, if you average 4.3 assists, you, you, you probably are sharing the ball at least a little bit, right? But some of his pull-ups in traffic are absolutely unwarranted and are shots that the USC coaching staff will look to eliminate sooner rather than later. Doesn't have the burst to always get by guys, which is partially why he can settle on some of those jumpers. Needs to further develop a floater or runner in the paint to take advantage of when he is able to take that space. And then defensively, I got no good words to say about this man's defense. It is horrible. Poor footwork and recovery can lose him on screens. Fouls isn't as competitive as you would want him to be around the basket, given his size. Will have to take major steps defensively for any NBA team 
to look at him in the first round was exactly what I wrote down on paper. This, listen, Maxwell, I, I you got mixed emotions with, with how I potentially caught yeah. you off guard here. I, <laughs> I want to believe. I, mm-hmm. I watched the mixtapes. I really liked what I saw in the mixtapes, which is why I thought like, okay, when I pop open some games in Insta, like I'm going to like what I see here. I pop open the games. I want nothing to do with this guy in the first round right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, that's just, that's, that's just where I'm at. But that's why he's under the radar. Yeah, that, exactly. That is, that is why he's under the radar, but he was number 28 in the ESPN top 100. So usually if you're within the top 30 or a top 50 of your incoming freshman class, you're probably being, you know, targeted somewhere as like, oh, he could pop up in the first round conversation mm-hmm. at some point later on in the year. So that's why you are correct, Steve, when he's under the radar. But I guess what I'm trying to say is I understand why he's under the radar after flipping on some <laughs> of the tape. Maxwell, I was the yeah. wet blanket of the Debbie Downer. Mm-hmm. Try and bring back some of the positivity and of why I should maybe have for sure a few more you got it maxwell about Trey yeah so he's he's like early second for me i think they're and i love trey white like i i think i'm way more into him than most people um i do think the three level scoring is real i think when he takes good pull-ups his pull-up game is absolutely nasty uh he's really good vertically and he's good vertically in traffic too when he's going downhill um, he's a really good rebounder and because of his passing and speed, he's a real grab and go threat. Like he, if he grabs a rebound, like the defense has to get back. They have to get set. They have to make good decisions quickly. He's going to immediately start putting pressure on the rim on the other end of the court. Um, he's strong. So he's able to finish inside. I think his rebounding is going to scale up well as a result of that, uh, impressive flashes of hitting threes off the dribble. He's an effective lob passer. I like how he places his passes. He handles pressure pretty well. And he can pass with both hands. Uh, some really impressive decision-making on, on pick and rolls too, with like instances of him rejecting screens or splitting the pick and roll or doing things that you just don't always see guys who are 6'6 do at his age. Um, so I think the playmaking upside and three-level scoring ability at six foot six, it's like that is a modern offensive NBA player. I am with you on the defense. The defense is very rough. The lazy fouling is the one thing that really kills me. Like, he's going to have to reel that in big time because that it simply won't fly at the college level. It's not like a thing where it's like, Oh, you know, maybe you can turn this around. Like coaches just won't have that. Um, the other thing is too, uh, the shot selection didn't bug me as much as just the general over dribbling. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought there were a lot of plays where it's like, I didn't get to my spot. I'm just going to like keep dribbling and try again. <laughs> uh, that that's one of those things again, that at the college level, you can't be doing that. That that siren in the background was somebody coming to arrest me for my Trey White takes, by the way. Yeah, yeah, a little, yeah. A little, little too negative there. <laughs> um, and I will agree too. I don't think he's like an isolation creator. I think he's the guy that needs a screen, which as I said before, it's not the end of the world, uh, especially when you're 6'6". But I, I just think offensively, he has a very, very intriguing skill set at his size that you don't see very often. Um, the other hangup I have is just the guys who do a lot of stuff well, like that's kind of a dangerous skill set when it comes to scaling up like sometimes it just all is just like oh he's really good at all this at one level and then they scale up and it's like eh, they're just like pretty average at everything and it doesn't always click so that's a reasonable concern to have too i think steven are you going to break the tie in between us or are you going to fall some somewhere in the middle on trey white where are you at so this is another one of those dudes where the more i watch him the more i like him and i don't know if that's dangerous but um my second go around of watching him 
And then my third round, I just fall more and more in love with the guy. I watched him again today preparing for the show. So I won't piggyback on a lot of what Maxwell said, but some additional things that I liked that Maxwell did not mention. I like his positional strength. I like his versatility and scalability. I think that he'll be able to play multiple positions due to his size and his strength. Uh, I do like the hustle on the glass, too. Uh, I, and I like his vision. He just needs to work on his timing and execution. The shot potential is there. And where the shot is right now, I think, is at, a, is at an appropriate level to where it can get even, even better as time goes on. I just don't like how he handles pressure a lot of times. Sometimes he has a tendency to bring that dribble up a little high, and I think that that can lead to turnovers if he's not careful. And he can really force issues. Like sometimes when he decides that, hey, I'm, I want to pass, like it's just a one read type thing. Sometimes I just think that he needs to survey the floor a little bit better. And he can just be passive if he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Like he just is kind of a, a casual observer. And I think, you know, going to a team with Boogie at USC, he's not always going to have the ball in his hands. So it's going to be interesting to see how he's utilized as an off-ball player. But I think I'm more in line with Maxwell to where I'm looking at him as potentially like a mid to late second round guy coming into the draft or where I am right now, potentially drafting him. But again, you know, if things shake right, he could climb. I just, I like his size and his vision and, and feel overall right now. Before we move to Jet Howard, the Michigan wing, one one note, we were also going to talk about Vincent Ichukwu. Uh, on this podcast, the, the USC big man, we, we learned the news this past week that he had a heart issue that mm-hmm. he is recovering from. We, we wish him nothing but the best in his recovery. And we hope he's able to return to the There's basketball a- floor and, and, and maybe possibly suit up for USC at, at some point from coming from a family that has plenty of history with heart issues. I know that all of that is serious. It's never fun, but pray, prayers are up. For, for the big man. So we will hopefully be able to discuss him at another point in time. So Jed Howard, as I mentioned, the Michigan wing, six foot eight, 215 pounds. Yes, he is the son of the head coach. That, that's always fun, right? Coach's son. Number 39 for 24-7 sports. He was number 41 in the ESPN Top 100, and he was 42 on Rivals. He participated in the Iverson Classic and the Jordan Burring Classic events. Played at IMG during a senior season where he averaged 13 and a half points per game, 2.6 rebounds, and two assists. Has really good size and length for a wing. Uh, capable open jump shot maker and looks good when he gets on the move. Like the command he has on his dribble when looking to score, but you know, since some of the other things can can fall apart besides that. I don't love his strength profile or body control on drives. He loses balance at times on some of his pull-up jumpers, leading to awkward misses. When he has time to balance himself and square up, I think he can be a good scorer and shooter in, in different situations. Capable of doing more offensively, but sometimes gets a little too creative and settles for turnaround jumpers or stepbacks when he has more space to operate towards the basket rather than away from it. Some of the passing can be hit or miss. Uh, misread plays, often the result of some tunnel vision or overconfidence, as I talked about in my previous point. Has real tools defensively. He's competitive and he has the feet to stay with matchups on the perimeter. I think he can play a little too handsy and over-aggressively into foul issues. We'll have to become a more disciplined defender to take advantage of what he brings to the table on that end. But I do think when we compare him defensively to some of these other wings that we've talked about, I think he has some real potential um, on, on that end among some of the guys in this group. So 
definitely a mixed bag offensively and defensively. There's some things to like, there's some things to not like Steven. I, I don't know where you're at on Jed Howard. I think if we were trying to pigeonhole guys who we, we think they're going to be second or third year players, as opposed to coming out after their first year, I think Jed Howard might be one of those guys where are you kind of at on his game and what do you want to see from him during his freshman year at Michigan? So again, another one of these guys, the more I watch him, the more I like him. I, I like his, I like him as a shooter. I think that he can improve as kind of like a second side, you know, break, break a guy off a recovering defensive posture. I think that he can be a good second side, weak side uh, creator for others. I like his vision. I like his innate feel. Like you can tell that he's the son of a of a pro player. Like he just he you sees can. things that a lot of people just don't at his age. I like his build. He plays a lot bigger. Like when I saw his listed height after watching the film, and I challenge people before you go and look up the measurements if you can, like just go watch a guy play and go back and look at measurements because sometimes like you can just it's like in the nfl right like sometimes you'll see a 40 time and you'll be like oh he only runs a four six but you watch him on the field and he just moves so much quicker that's how i feel about jet howard he plays bigger than six seven which i think helps him in the scalability and versatility aspect of his game um he can however get moved off his spots i think as he gets stronger that that's going to be something that kind of goes away um the switching communication I didn't love in, in high school, but again, you know, when he's going to be playing with his dad and we know that his dad has a lot of passion in, in his coaching ability, I think that, that that's going to get cleaned up a lot as well. One thing that I would like to see for him offensively is like, can he go to his offhand? That's something that he's got to clean up. Again, if we're going to look at him as a wing, potentially a forward in the NBA, he's got to be able to come at you at both angles. I just think right now his role, I think that he's going to be one of these guys, and this is going to sound super like cheesy or easy to, to say, he's going to look better in the second half of the year than he does at the first half, right? Like sometimes I think that we can assume that with players, but Jet just comes across one of these guys that you're going to feel much better about him come, you know, January, February, March timeframe than you do coming into the season, because I believe in the institution of, of Michigan to, to be able to develop this type of player. And I think that right now the frame and the field that he has, it lends itself to, to learning and, and kind of soaking up information like a sponge. And I think, you know, again, with his dad being the coach, he's going to get that opportunity. I like him a lot. The more I watch him, I think that he's going to be a guy to look out for. Not as big a fan of him as Metcalf is. I know Metcalf is like a, a top five, top 10 player. Well, Met, Metcalf's are, are Michigan, man. So that's that that right. makes a lot of sense. Maybe a little bit of bias, but I think that he could sneak into late first round conversations if everything breaks right for him. Maxwell, it wasn't wasn't very hard to find some tape on Jed Howard because he played at IMG with multiple mm -hmm. top prospects that we've already talked about on yeah. other episodes of the podcast. So it, it, it's it's funny. As I said, the film wasn't hard to find, but he definitely was the third best prospect among some of the other top names that he played with that we talked about. And I think he kind of showed itself on film. There's potential there. I just think it's, it, it's going to take a little bit for some more of that to come out. Are you kind of in, in a similar boat? Uh, yeah, I think, I think I'm with you for the most part. I know some of the guys that know ceilings are really, really into him and I'm just not quite all the way there yet. Uh, I do think he's a very comfortable shooter. I, I actually like his pull up a little bit more uh, than I think you do. I, I do understand the balance issues, especially as he's more in traffic, but this is a guy who I, I feel okay if he's dribbling into a three and taking it. 
love how he guards on the ball. Um, really, really good guarding at the point of attack. Um, and then offensively, I, I like that he has like a little bit of hesitation to him when he can do some stop and go stuff from time to time. Very crafty. Yeah. Yeah. And he can make himself really skinny when he's going to the basket too. Like this is a guy who can like kind of weave through the defense a little bit. Um, some of the concerns I just have though, is it does feel like his, his game isn't well-rounded and it seems like the gears are turning in a positive way. Uh, I can live with the types of mistakes that he makes as a passer. Cause it seems like he wants to be a playmaker. And I think with his dad being like a really good coach, um, it's, it's going to get there. It's just going to take him time to, to kind of get that experience and feel on the court. And I'm not a fan of his finishing as well. He, he's lanky right now. And he just kind of struggles at the basket at times, if he's met there by somebody with, with good size. Uh, so I'm worried about that at the college level as well. Is he a guy that's going to take multiple years? It wouldn't shock me. Um, but given that I really believe in his shot, I really believe in his size, and I think his defense on the ball is good enough, and the instincts off the ball are rock solid, this is the type of guy that a lot of teams are looking forward to. Uh, this is a common archetype that teams like to draft. Uh, so could he go in the first round this year, much like his father in a handshake line? I think there's a puncher's <laughs> chance, ladies and oh, gentlemen. But um, There we go. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think there's a shot. But I think the, the multi-year trajectory might be a little bit more likely, but again, like these skills, that size, the pro pedigree, it's tough to overlook, especially like Steven said, like, I, I think if he gets comfortable with the timing of the college game in the second half of the year, he second could have a big, year, big yeah. second half. Yeah. So a player, as, as we finish out our, our perimeter selections for tonight's podcast, a player who has had a multi-year trajectory by default, Langston Love, the, the Baylor wing, six foot five, 210 pounds. He is a redshirt freshman after a preseason injury last year. That was a torn ACL that he suffered, but he decided to come back to school. He was 28th in the 2021 ESPN top 100 from Montverde Academy. I won't, I won't waste a ton of time giving a scouting report on him from the high school stuff. Cause we did technically do that last year, but I guess Maxwell, what I'll come and I'll ask you Coming back from any injury is never easy. Coming back from a torn mm. ACL is incredibly difficult for a young man who's trying to adapt to different levels of life, let alone trying to just play up a level in, in terms of what he's going to face on the basketball court. So just some of the difficulties that can come along with coming back from an ACL injury. What, what, what are just some of the baseline expectations that you want to see from, from a Langston Love season? I'd really just like to see him catch on and be a stable part of the rotation the whole season. I okay. think I'm, I was a little bit lower on his game than a lot of people were. Um, but this Baylor like backcourt is really stacked. And if there's a situation where he comes out, he part of my reservations with him already is that he's not a big time elevator. He's not super quick and he's not super shifty. Um, so if he's coming into the year, if his shot isn't falling, and you've got Adam Flagler and LJ Cryer and Keontae George and a guy like Dale Bonner too, who's really good that a lot of people have just kind of like forgotten about. There is a world where like his minutes just don't come. Like he, he could lose them to other guys. Um, but he might also be the best shooter out of all four of those. It's possible. All, of, it's possible. He's a there's really some good, good shooters shooter. in that mix though. And I, and I think his <laughs> passing is good. Like there's some impressive one-handed passing with his right. He knows how to use his strength on the way to the bucket. He can, yeah, shoot off the dribble. His recognition is really good. I think my concern with him is just like 
how is he going to be physically given that that's already yep. the one area I was a little hung up with him. Um, but so for me, like, I think it's going to take him a couple of years, no matter what. So from an expectation standpoint, I just want to see how does your shot translate? How does the playmaking translate? How does your pace work at this level? That's what I want to see. I, I just want to see him assert himself, make solid plays, knock down shots, and then maybe get that full off season next year under his belt and see what he looks like at that point. That's, that's my expectation for him is just earn, earn minutes among a really, really good crop of guards. Steven, anything else you want to see from, from likes of love as he comes back and looks to assert himself in that Baylor rotation? Yeah, I think that any sort of lower, lower body injury, I always look at it as a two-year timeline. Like just because mm-hmm. you come back the first year, that doesn't always mean that you're going to be right. What do you look like that second year? Look at guys like Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, you know, players like that, whenever they have come back from lower body injuries, it's usually year two where they look somewhat like themselves, right? So that's what I'm looking for for Langston Love is maybe not even this year, but next year, what does he look like? I've got a second round grade on him coming into the year right now, just because I do believe in the offensive ability with him. I don't think that the ACL is going to affect his passing or his vision. I don't think that it's going to affect his jump shot or quick release, but the defense is really where this lower body injury is going to kind of bear itself. Like what's he look like when he's playing on his heels? What's it look like if he's recovering on help side, you know, with his size, I think that Baylor could use him to space the floor to be, you know, a secondary tertiary playmaker on their roster, because I do think that just a year in Baylor is going to help him understand, you know, flow of offense, things like that. But really it's going to come down to how does he compete on, you know, the trash can plays, loose balls, rebounds, and then defense. How does he look on that side? So I'm going to go out of order a little bit from, from uh-huh. what I gave you guys in, in, in the show notes. So bear with me. It will make a lot of sense what I'm about to do. But let's let's first talk about Malik Renault, the Indiana forward, six foot nine, 235 pounds. The Montverde graduate averaged 11.9 points per game and 6.6 rebounds during his senior season. He upped those stats to 14.3 points per game and 8.3 rebounds during the team's Geico Nationals run. He was a Jordan Brand Classic selectee, 22 in the ESPN Top 100, 25 for Rivals, and 27 for 24-7 Sports. He's that old-school power forward prospect who lives with his back to the basket, right? He relies on great footwork and touch to score on opponents in the post, can power through opponents on the block, plenty of room to grow as a passer out of the post, and would assume that's a developmental priority moving forward. Quick to react to misses inside and positions, positions himself well, to get offensive putbacks. I do want to see more development in his shooting, particularly on short rolls can go to either hand off face of attacks, but needs to add need. I need to see more when the defense is able to wall some of those face up moves off. So there are some interesting things to work with here. The reason why I wanted to mention him first over some of these other bigs is he's probably the least I'm excited about out of some of these other guys that we're going to be talking about. I think Malik Renault Maxwell might be a multi-year player. Um, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be somebody who's in the 2023 NBA draft conversation. I think if, if we're taking bets on who the Indiana standout's going to be, we're all putting our money on Jalen Hutchifino. I think it's great that Hutchifino is going to have a post player to where really two post players to work with and trace Jackson Davis and Malik Renault to kind of split touches. He has easy guys who can catch and turn finish, get him the assist, pump up his box score stats. That's awesome for him. Hopefully it's awesome for Indiana's offense, but 
if we don't see some of that shooting come along, Maxwell, which is why I think it might be a multi-year project, that floor spacing that we've mentioned when we talked about Jalen Hutchfino, it's going to get pretty crappy pretty quick. So I, I just wonder what his game is going to look like playing alongside a bigger version of himself who's already on the roster, more experienced, yeah. Trace Jackson Davis. Well, what do you think about Malik? I would, you were like, yeah, I, I, you think he's a multi-year guy. I would be stunned if he's a one and done. Like I, I really just don't see an NBA translation that's attainable for him within the next 12 months. I hope I'm wrong. Like it'd be great. Like, like we always say we're rooting for all these guys. Um, Oh, we are like my, my Trey white propaganda. Yeah. Like usually when I make the boldest of proclamations like that, I have to eat my own crow and shit. Like yeah, nine yeah, times yeah. out of 10. So I'm hoping for it. I'm hoping to be wrong, but yeah, exactly. I, I feel yeah. the same way. And yeah, I, I hope I'm wrong with her. No, I, I like his fire. This is a kid with a really, really high motor. He, yeah. Great positioning on defense, really scrappy inside. I'm actually into his passing. I think his passing is pretty sharp, especially from around the elbows and out of the post. My concern is just, I have no idea what he does on offense at an NBA level. I think in college it's six, seven, he's going to be able to, to kind of hang on and be impactful as a guy who does a lot of his damage inside. Um, but just given his mobility first step from the perimeter and lack of a jump shot, I just don't see a way that he scores at an NBA level. Like I, I just don't see that easy translation for him anywhere and i think it's just going to take him time i think he's i think the the mind is there and the motor is definitely there so i think it's just going to be a matter of working through the kinks getting an outside shot down getting a little bit more bursty rather than burly uh i think this is all stuff that's doable i just really don't see it happening within the year steven are you up up down or flat on malik renault as we head into his freshman year i I don't know what film I'm watching because I I kind of love Malik Renault. Um, he gives me some crazy like OG Ananobi vibes because OG Ananobi. He's I'm not saying he's gonna be him. I'm just saying he reminds me of him because he's huge. First off, like just long, big. I trust him as a defender. Like switching wing inside. He's just so strong. I love his instincts. I love his footwork. I love his body. You know, like how just the ability to body up a guy. He does, I, he does have that, good feet and hands. We talk about that for forwards and big. He, he does have good feet and hands. Which is a tremendous start if you're looking at a switchable, scalable guy. Like, I think this dude could give you minutes at the wing. Um, I, I think that he competes on the glass. Like, his interior scoring and footwork is there, which I think translates to him improving as somewhat of a – like self-creator I don't think that he's going to be like breaking dudes down off the dribble but I do think that he can grow and become a competent you know kind of self-creator on that aspect you you got to talk to me about the jump shot then because I've probably yeah, seen this guy I, take the amount of jump shots so I could count him on one hand but what, what I've definitely could count him on one hand so if you're going to classify him as somebody who can maybe scale down a position you got to be shooting something from the perimeter so talk to me. I think that he's going to be a good shooter I, I think that the, the shot is is there. I just don't think that it was really ever asked of him. Like, if you go back and watch the film, he's scoring on the inside because he is so daggum good at it. But on the opportunities that he did shoot, more times than not, they went in. Again, I understand that the volume wasn't necessarily there, but I don't think that it was because he can't do it. I just think that 
he was asked to score on the inside because he his footwork is tremendous and he's got soft touch around the basket, which that soft touch around the basket, I think will translate to outside. And Coach Woodson, I, I think that he's going to have opportunities because, listen, Trace Jackson Davis, we know that he's going to live on the inside. I would love to see him get more opportunities from outside as well. But I think if Renault is going to break out, and this goes back to the initial question that I posed to you earlier today, Nathan, for things to break right, he's got to be able to at least form a, a reliable corner jump shot. I think that he can. Based on the film that I've seen, the shot looks fine, like it's not broken. And when he did take it, he made him. I just think that that's something that can get worked out easily. But if I'm looking at him as a four that can give you minutes as a, as a three, I think that the mobility is there. I think that the defensive footwork is there, the motor, the the rebounding, screening, all that's there. That jump shot just has to turn around, which I think it can. I, I kind of low-key love Malik Renault. Well, boy, did I read the room wrong. When, when I thought it was going to be maybe uh, we're, we're a little bit sour on, on Malik Renault, we have Steven coming in to save the day and bring the positivity. I love it, man. Listen, I, again, Maxwell and I, we, we are happy to be wrong about any preseason prospect cases we make because sometimes sometimes it's just too damn early to be talking about some of this stuff anyways. So maybe, maybe Mr. Renault will prove us wrong and he will emerge as a legitimate prospect in the 2023 class doesn't even have to be first rounder maybe he's like a, a 30 to 45 guy i think that would certainly be above the expectations i'm setting for him coming into this season so i read the room wrong i apologize but the reason why i, I mean the majority him, of us don't love him i'm the only one that 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 loves him y'all hate his guts so. no, oh, <laughs> no no i'm not gonna let you do that i'm on just the playing y'all know y'all know i'm just playing so we are our last guy we will talk about is Ernest Uday, and I will save a corner of the podcast at the very end for Steven to give his Ernest Uday pitch. I think he's probably the highest on him out of the three of us, but these other two bigs, really, really interesting players. Adam Bono going to UCLA, six foot 10, 235 pounds, and Johan Treor, six foot 10, 225 pounds going to Auburn. These two dudes are freaky, and I freaking love it. So they're, they're, they're it, obviously it's in different ways. Adam Bona is, is he has ridiculous bounce for a big man. He's looking to sky up. He's looking to finish. He's a transition threat, half court role, man, but boy, can he really rip it and go when he has the opportunity to, he can attack the basket in a hurry. Um, very high motor. He runs the floor incredibly well on both ends, competes on the glass, great second jump for offensive rebounds. And the face of the face of game and the jumper, they're still developing, but he has the footwork and the speed to be able to set up more of those looks in time. And if you if you have any doubt about the crazy athlete that this guy is, I I have Lively ahead of him because Lively's bigger, and I think he's just got the more natural physical tools. But if you have any doubt, flip on that Turkey U19 tape and watch Adam Bona go to work because this man, whole holy cow, this dude gets from one end of the court to the other in a damn hurry. Flip side of the coin, Treor, on the other hand, he's a different kind of forward, right? He's, he's a face-up guy who this man wants to live in the mid-range, and he is damn good at doing it. Good footwork on the move to step through and, and lay it in. He gets to his shot off hop steps and step backs, keeps balance, same release motion, and follow through each time. He can turn and hit fallaway jumpers out of the post. He's not the most physical forward, but with his face-up skill set, he might not have to be. 
in, in different aspects of the offense. I don't love his touch on runners or, or step-ins towards the basket. I want to see him continue to get stronger to finish through defenders as opposed to everything being away from the basket. So I want to see a balance more is what I would say, right? He is willing to step out and guard perimeter matchups. He has decent enough footwork to keep up with guards, but will definitely have to improve defending in space. Good time in a challenge shot to the basket, but will ultimately get bullied by more physical matchups down low. And I will want to watch his Auburn development to figure out where he's best suited defensively. So Adam Bona, he is a much more physical presence on the interior. Even when he gets going, gets downhill, we're not seeing too much of the, the jump shot development yet, but he is an inside guy. He wants to defend inside. He wants to block shots inside. Treyar is a little bit different. Treyar, you, you can picture him maybe over time being the more switchable big between the two. We know what his scoring package is looking like from a shooting perspective. I think he's, he's a good enough athlete um, to where his, his size, his length, his athleticism, and his shooting gives him pretty interesting upside of his own. These two guys just really stand out to me, though, as they, they check different boxes for different people. And I'm curious to see where you guys are at between choosing between the two of them. So, Maxwell, I'll, I'll start with you. Who's who's more on your radar between these two guys? And, and why hasn't whoever you're going to choose been getting more love in terms of being more than just under the radar freshman? Yeah, so I have Bona higher right now because I think he's a much safer prospect. I think bottom line, you're talking about a dude who is got a seven, six wingspan and the motor is just off the charts. This guy, the way Mick Cronin is talking about him preseason, he's actually going to play this freshman. Uh, so that's, that's really exciting. But uh, I, I just think the effort and intensity that he plays with is so unrivaled. And you look at his physical tools, how he gets off the ground, how he blocks shots, how he's willing to grab and go. Um, I, I think he's still definitely raw. There's definitely polish missing, especially when it's a situation where, you know, he gets a post-entry pass and now he's on the block and he can travel. The ball can get away from him. He, his heart is in the right place at all times though. Like it is all effort all the time with Adam Bona. And because he's such a great athlete and he tries so hard, like coaches are just going to love this guy. And I think that because of his, lateral agility and things like that too i do think there is some switchable upside with him given his length i think he's going to be able to cat and mouse guys a little bit and play off of them and contain smaller players with treor treor is an exceptional bucket getter like he is unbelievable when it comes to just being a hooper and scoring uh really great footwork to get to spots in the mid-range super smooth his scoring bag is really deep He's a solid cutter. There's moments of him making NBA threes. He can get skinny and dice to the rim at times. He's agile enough that theoretically he should be able to guard smaller players. But sometimes I watch him and I'm like, the only thing you care about is scoring a basketball. Like there are times <laughs> where like he leaves so much to be desired as a passer. I don't know who he guards. That, that's why I, I want to see what Pearl does with him defensively. I am so year. excited to see what what he ends up doing because he should have Johnny Broom with him like to, to yep. guard the rim so it's like <laughs> you're gonna have to like guard forwards and get switched and things like that so it's gonna be interesting he rebounds very poorly for his position at the high school level so it's like if you're 6'10 and you're getting like three rebounds a game in college we're, we're gonna have problems like no he, he he thinks he's a three-man he thinks he's he does. a three-man who can live in the mid-range and be a perimeter-oriented guy but there's gotta and, be balance and the other thing is too like he gets so locked in as a scorer 
um, that it's really a disservice that he doesn't do more as a playmaker because he draws a lot of attention and he has the ability to create really interesting passing angles just based off of his size and the attention that he commands. And he doesn't really take advantage of that. I think there is a world where he just comes in and he scores like crazy. And it's six ten. that's going to have a lot of utility. Uh, NBA yep. teams like guys who are six ten and can really score the basketball. Uh, so like the, the range of outcomes for him is huge. Like I would not be stunned at all. If this guy ends up being a lottery talent, if he can figure out something that he does passably on the defensive end, given how he can score. Uh, but I feel much safer with Adam Bona for now. I'm with you on the intriguing part to Trey R. I think. Bona, on the other hand, though, could put up massive, massive numbers at UCLA, like way more than anybody would expect for a Mick Cronin played freshman. And it would, mm-hmm. it would not shock me in the slightest from an efficiency standpoint, from a counting number standpoint. So I think it's going to be really, really fun to watch both these guys develop. Steven, where, where are you at between the two? Yeah, so between all three, the prospects that I have left to play like or talk about, I'm higher on Bona than all of them. And I'm the lowest on Trey or out of all of them, right? So I like Bona a lot for many of the same reasons that Maxwell, you know, just so eloquently pointed out. I like the positional handle that he possesses too. And the fact that Maxwell pointed to the switching, like I have that as an intriguing uh, part, like in my notes, I'm like, can he switch? Because it looks like he should be able to. So I'm glad that you touched on that. I will say though, because he is such an outstanding help defender, his propensity to foul is uh, going to be something that he's got to work on, especially if Cronin is going to be playing him good minutes. And then the the turnover too, like how good is his vision? Is he going to be able to hit a guy like potentially Bailey? Hopefully is another freshman that gets good playing time because of all the things that we talked about him a couple episodes ago. And then Trey or like, to me, he epitomizes kind of more of like hypothetical than what I think he's actually going to bring to the table. Like he has to be an outside threat if he's going to be playing next to Broom and Flanagan coming back again this season, like he's got to be able to give that offense some sort of spacing and it has to be consistent. I think that right now he does have some mobility and I do like him a little bit as a lob threat, but he's got to have spacing to do it because I don't like his, his burst off of one foot. His second hop isn't that great, which I do think leads to the inefficiencies and the rebounding that Maxwell was talking about. I don't trust him to put the ball on the ground like right now at all at the college level. And the post play make the post playmaking, I think, leaves a lot to be desired. I think if he does get the ball on the inside, teams are gonna double him and he's gonna throw the ball away more times than he's gonna find the right guy. And just a weird thing that I don't like about his jump shot is that his feet seem like they're way too close together whenever he shoots the ball. And I think that that's where it it's weird because I think that it helps him a little bit get like a high release point and get the, uh, the power on his long shots, but on the free throws, if you look at his numbers, I think that that actually hurts him. Like if he was to spread his feet a little bit more, it might actually give him enough of a base on a set free throw shot and get the, get that, uh, efficiency number up there. But between the two, I'm hands down, Bona hands down. And then last but not least, Steven, I'm giving you the Ernest Uday corner, the six foot 11, 240 pound McDonald's all American Kansas, big man coming in. Listen, he's, he's not the sexiest of prospects, right? Nope. But <laughs> I could also see a, a world where he lives up to that 23rd ranking in the ESPN top 100. And he puts up 
maybe not the highest in terms of points per game and rebounds per game, but when we talk about like per 36 numbers, per 40 minute numbers, his efficiency ratings. I think some of that could be off the charts because I do like the physical package. He's got a man's body. He's ready to play in the NBA today. There are some things there to, to really like from a classic at the rim, big man. So finish up this podcast for us with any other thoughts about Ernest Duday. So I'm going to start with some of the things that I don't like first. Uh, he, he can't shoot like at all from the free throw line or from deep. Um, and his passing, I, a, a simple read needs to get a lot better. But if you want a man who has good hands around the basket, who can jump <laughs> stupid high for someone of his build, uh, rebounds incredibly well, blocks, blocks almost every attempt that, I, that I've seen at the rim, finishes everything, will be a, a, a scary lob threat. Like this guy just skies off the floor pretty easily, one foot, two foot, it doesn't matter, and sets really good screens, which I think is an underrated skill coming into college basketball, um, especially if he's going to be playing for Kansas. Uh, he does everything so well. He screams back up NBA center, which, again, I know doesn't sound sexy, but if you can come in and be a steady backup big, like, that's huge in the NBA because there's a lot of NBA teams right now that don't have a starter, let alone a reliable backup. And the teams that do have good backup big men, they typically go deep in the playoffs, right? So yep. I think that he gives your team reliable rotation minutes um, at the center position. And all he has to do is improve, you know, some sort of touch around the basket, some sort of mid-range game, like any sort of semblance of shooting from anywhere on the floor it greatly increases his value and it only accentuates the other skills that he brings to the table already, which is strength, verticality, rebounding, just a ridiculous lop that around the basket and has good hands. A great way to wrap up the show, talking about some of these big men. Really, I think we've done an excellent job, gentlemen, of painting the picture for over 30 freshmen that we're going to definitely be watching and paying close attention to and scouting as we move through the 2023 NBA draft conversation this year. So thank you both for the work that you've put in to make these three podcast episodes possible. We're going to be taking a little bit of a break from the NBA draft stuff next week. Uh, Maxwell has some things that he's attending to, so he will not be joining us next week, but Steven and I will be rejoined by Brett Usher from the overstated NBA group. He will be, Coming on, we're going to do our 30 questions for 30 NBA team series split across two podcasts. It may not be NBA draft related, but I love doing those damn shows, man. So you know yeah. what? We're going to do those shows on Draft Deeper. That's how we roll. We're going, to, we're going to make great content, and I promise the audience is going to get something out of those two podcasts. So the NBA season is right around the corner. I can't wait. I've been watching preseason. I'm a degenerate. I'm a sicko. I have I love preseason as much as I love watching summer league. So, you know, I'm going to be in front of my TV or in front of my computer screen. So I can't wait to do those podcasts, but we will return to the draft content after that. We'll look at some of the top returning players in a few weeks here. So definitely make sure you stay tuned to the podcast feed on that front. Make sure you subscribe to draft deep wherever you get your podcast, Apple podcast, Spotify, YouTube, make sure you're following me on Twitter at draft deeper. And of course, I got to kick it over to these two guys. Maxwell, kick it to you. Where can everybody find you? And what are you working on for no ceilings? 
Yeah, uh, at Baum Boards is my handle at B A U M. The word boards. Uh, final final piece of No Stone Unturned coming out this mm. week. Currently set for Wednesday. Um, I'm working with a school to try and squeeze in one final interview at the last minute uh, for this piece. So we'll see if we can make that come together. If not, it's just a wild time for athletic departments. So I totally understand. Uh, we've got five under the radar guys uh, coming your way on the guard front this week. So stay tuned for that. Steven, where can everybody find you? What are you working on, brother? Yeah, so you can find me at Stephen G Hoops on Twitter. You can find my written work over at NoCeilingsNBA.com, which I just released a piece a couple of days ago that's been well-received. Uh, Maxwell had some very kind words that he uh, shared with me behind the scenes about it, but it was covering uh, Houston Mallet, the Pepperdine Waves prospect, and uh, I had a lot of fun. It was probably the best I felt coming out of a deep dive and hopefully gave him enough love where – there's a lot of returning guys who are getting the benefit of the doubt based off of a strong freshman campaign. And I don't really hear a lot of people other than, you know, us draft sickos over at no ceilings NBA, um, giving him enough credit for what he did last year and what we can expect to see for him building off of that, of a, a strong off season and going up against NBA level talent against guys like Jalen Williams, you know, Chet Holmgren, Julian Strother, another popular returner, Nolan Hickman, another one. Right. So um, go check that out over at nosinglingsmba.com. Um, felt really good about it. And I am currently looking for <laughs> my next subject. Sorry, I don't have anything sexy to share with the audience right now, but I have a couple ideas, just haven't hammered one down yet. Always great to call back a piece that literally just came out, Steve, and you did a great mm-hmm. job with uh, the Houston Mallet piece. Pepperdine will be a school that we'll be following for, for multiple reasons, not just Mr. Mallet. Maxwell Lewis yeah. is playing for that team as well. We're going to be watching some Pepperdine basketball. Don't worry. As for me, what I'm working on, my next scouting tips pieces for the forwards and then the centers, those will be coming out. I'm skipping this week to work on some things for no ceilings behind the scenes, but in the following weeks, I'll be finishing out those pieces before I bring back the morning dunk for our 2022-23 full-on year two launch and no ceiling. So definitely can't wait to get that underway. But for now, in the meantime, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Draft Deeper podcast. Until we meet again on the feed, I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. 